0: It's so good to see all of you. I know. Do you remember me? I'm Kelly. (laughs) Bill Fife said it perfect in the line for communion. He leaned in and said, welcome home. And I was like, oh, I'm home. (laughs) Thank you so much for the gift of the sabbatical. It was a wonderful month. I discovered things I don't do very much. I slept. I ate. I went out in the daylight and I liked it. <laughs> wow, it was very wonderful for me. Um, I had a chance to work on my paper for the Lilly Foundation. So even though I wasn't with you, I was writing all about you and saying great things. And so I just have a small section left of the paper and then I'm gonna add a big appendix section and off it will go, and it will go out to the Lilly Foundation and to Presbytery. And my hope is that other churches can use some of the things that we're doing in this place, no matter the size of the congregation. So what a wonderful thing it was to rediscover what it means to do late nights in the library. And uh, our son, Matt, who graduated in, uh, in December, thought it was a hoot that I was working on my paper and my husband, Mark, is, was in a master's level class. So we were all about our papers. And he just chuckled the whole time that we were, I was off. So you might notice something different. Uh, the sermon is at the end of the service. And there has been a growing trend in the church, as in the big church, to have the message come at the end. And I had an opportunity to worship at a few places and to call a few friends to ask the question... And only because a few of you have recently said, sometimes you just want to leave on the message. And so what I'm doing is for the next four Sundays, we'll try it at the end. You let me know how you like it. Give it at least two Sundays. If you like it, we'll keep it. If you don't, we'll change it back. So we'll see how it goes. Our scripture of the day today are two verses from Luke 15. If you would say it with me in your bulletin. Jesus said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A woman and her grandmother were sitting on her porch, and they were discussing a member of the family who had kind of gone astray. And the young woman said, you know, he's just no good, Grandma. He's completely untrustworthy not to mention lazy. Yes, he's bad, said Grandma, rocking in her chair. And back and forth she rocked in the silence. And then she said, but Jesus loves him. "Um, I'm not too sure about that, said the young woman. Oh, yes, said Grandma, Jesus loves him. Of course, Jesus doesn't know him like we do. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way about yourself? People tell you Jesus loves you and you think, if that's the case, then Jesus must not really know me very well. We feel unworthy. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We look in the mirror on some days and we kind of sigh. Or we say something that really we didn't anticipate it leaving our mouth. Or sometimes we do or we don't do something. And then we beat ourselves up for the rest of the day, perhaps even longer. And so when people tell you that Jesus loves you, you have to own it. And sometimes that's a little bit harder than other times. There's a woman named Lois Cheney, and she wrote about this very thing in her book called God is no fool. Yeah, I have heard people say that Jesus forgives, and he is no fool. He could never accept me, though, having been as foolish as I have. Have you ever wondered that? I think it's probably human nature to do so, but I need to say this to you now. It is not true. It is impossible for God not to love you and to cherish you. So when you have thoughts like that, my recommendation is that you just slam the door on that lie. Don't ever let it into your heart. And my goodness, we don't ever want it to take root inside that heart of yours, the heart that God created the heart that God loves. And I have such good news for you today in spite of the fact that Jesus is no fool and in spite of the fact that we sometimes can be, he really does love you. He really loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and he will gladly forgive you. All you have to do is reach out to him to let him love you To receive his love as the gift of new life that it is. He wants to throw a party to celebrate you. Imagine. You know, that's what this parable is all about, really, the sheep, the lost sheep. Jesus is actually getting in a lot of trouble from the religious leaders of his day because he's partying too much with the wrong people. The religious leaders are furious at Jesus. I mean, doesn't he know any better? Those people are wrong. I mean, we certainly don't hang out with the sinners. But you know what, Jesus came to celebrate us. He came to love us. And wouldn't you have a party if someone you loved who had left your life for a time, who had strayed away and they came back into your life, wouldn't you wanna throw a party? You'd be so happy to have them back. So how is it not the same for Jesus and for each one of us? There's three parables, actually, and they come back to back to back. We have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then we have the parable of the prodigal son who was lost and comes home. And I would imagine if I had been sitting there listening to Jesus about all this grace, it probably would have felt like in an old musty room of my heart, Jesus just came and opened a window. Let the sun shine in. So all those who gather in his day around him are shocked by his behavior. He wasn't sticking to the rules. He didn't apparently know his own father's laws. Oh, but the church leaders did, and they kept tripping him up. They kept wanting to have him tangle himself up in his own words. So according to the religious leaders, Jesus was hanging out with some pretty rough characters. It really wasn't safe, and that, of course, they weren't pure, and you had to be pure to go to the temple. The tax collectors were disliked not just because they were tax collectors, but because they were collecting money for either Herod or the Romans, or worse yet, both of them. The association would eventually have made Jesus unclean. So if you're unclean, you can't come in to worship in the temple. Imagine translating that to today. So that would be like... Religious leaders, priests, pastors would look at the Son of God and go, Yeah, you're out. Amazing. Jesus almost got himself kicked out of church because of the way he extravagantly loved everyone, all the sheep, including the one that was lost. According to modern-day theologian N.T. Wright, the leaders who had studied the law of God referred to the people Jesus was in keeping in company with, and they called them sinners. It was an extremely insulting remark in their eyes. These sinners were the poor. They didn't have much. They certainly didn't know the law like the religious leaders did. So they were from the wrong side of the tracks. And all I see is judgment, so much judgment. Billy Graham has a line, and I'm enjoying following him on Twitter. Isn't that something? Someone can pass away, and you can still glean the wisdom that they brought to the world on Twitter. So here's what Billy Graham tweeted to me while I was sitting on a dock overlooking water. The quote was, when he was getting harassed, Billy Graham was getting judged for not judging people enough. And his one line is this, Jesus called me to love. There's only one judge. So Jesus is saying that sinners must repent, the lost sheep eventually must be found, and Jesus will stop at nothing to go after even one lost sheep. It's a different idea that he has about repentance than those religious leaders. For them it meant knowing the law above all else, staying pure, and for Jesus it implies that the, religious le- that the religious leaders are the ones that are in need of repentance because Jesus will go off in any kind of weather, in any kind of situation, even getting dirty to go after one of us who has strayed to bring us back. And then when he does, there's a party that's going on and the party is actually all the way to heaven. When a person makes a commitment to Jesus Christ and to loving and serving him, that is reason for celebration. We carry babies down the aisle. We welcome new members. We are so overtaken with joy when our new uh, confirmation class comes to session and they share all the things that they learn. And they come in front of the congregation and we lay hands on them. Reasons for celebration. The parable of the lost sheep, there's two halves of God's creation in that parable. There's heaven and there's earth. And the two are to be in sync. Indeed, if we are to be the church, we're meant to fit together. If you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover what it means to live on earth. And how do we do that? By watching Jesus. And this is the reason behind praying Every Sunday, and God's kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, as far as those legal experts and the Pharisees were concerned, the closest you could come to heaven was in the temple, so you don't want to get kicked out. That would be bad. But the temple had very strict purity laws. That the priests were enforcing and they were enforcing the laws so much they forgot about the people who needed to come in to worship God, to be in the company of others, to have that chance to pray and to worship the God that they have come to know. And Jesus responded that heaven was throwing a great party, loud, full of celebration. Every time a sinner asked for forgiveness, Jesus was saying that the religious leaders should join him and throw a party with him for all the sinners who came to church. You know, the point of this parable is that the only thing different about this one sheep from all the others is that for a period of time, it was lost, but loved just as much as all those in the 99. And just think it's really all about love and sheep. Jesus was saying that those religious leaders, they were part of the 99. They didn't know what they were missing while Jesus was off chasing the one lost sheep because they were just satisfied. Status quo. Keep things in order. Keep their positions in power. You know, we need to keep asking ourselves as a congregation how we're doing with going after the lost. And it doesn't have to mean people out there. There are periods in all of our lives where we kind of get off track. And usually that's brought on by some kind of event in our lives. Someone's died. We've lost a job. We just don't feel like we did before. Something's out of sorts. And very often, it's another person in the pew who reaches out, who says, are you okay? And then sticks around for the answer. That's powerful. And so one of the questions we are always gonna be asking ourselves as a congregation is how are we living out our call to be the mission station? Where we invite people into the church to worship and to join our fellowship And then we also go out and to take our love of Jesus with us wherever we go. And are we modeling with our words and our actions how to love our neighbors? Because it seems increasingly so as we turn on the news, as we read, as we're out in the world, that there's not a lot of love anymore. It's almost impossible to imagine that we'd ever reach a day where the status quo and the acceptability of hating people is okay. But it's not okay for us. If we say we love and serve Jesus, we are called to love. A love that goes out, that travels, that goes to any lengths to go after a lost sheep. You know, helping these, uh, saying these kinds of questions and putting them up to ourselves and our ministry will help keep us focused It will keep us thriving. Jesus used these parables to say God wants all of his children to come home under the safety of his love. And a matter of fact, on one occasion he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. It's like a search and rescue mission for Jesus. So the parable of the lost sheep, it tells us a lot about God. Who God is, how God feels about us, even when we, like sheep, wander off. We are the sheep and Jesus is our shepherd. Just as the parable of the lost sheep challenged its first hearers to view outsiders in the world from a different perspective, Jesus' message is the same to us today. You can't always judge a book by its cover. That's right. It shows us the priority God puts on the lost, those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are excluded. We are to bring them into the fold. And Jesus invites us to participate in God's mission of rescuing the lost. God's mission was sent to bring heaven to earth rather than staying in the wilderness with the 99 sheep who thought they had everything they needed Remember, the shepherd's sheep are his life. Every one of them, his prized, his precious brothers and sisters. God feels the same about us. Sons and daughters of God are we. You are prized. You are precious. You are loved. There is such freedom that comes with knowing that, that our worth is found completely and who God says we are. Not who we say we are, not who others say we are, but in who God says we are. The sheep of his pasture, our good shepherd who will never leave us. Each one of us has a place in God's family. How? Because we're forgiven and we're loved. We're hungry for understanding and for comfort, for our hope that we can be a part of a church That's good grazing land in ministry where each and every one of us can be nourished in the love and grace of Jesus. We come to the table of Jesus, our gracious host. We come as brothers and sisters in Christ and we find that Jesus has prepared a place for us. And when we're not at the table, the place is just missing. Jesus loves us when we come to the table so he can feed us in more ways than one. And then we learn to feed each other, to nourish our souls. You see, the love of the Good Shepherd in others, sometimes it's that one thing somebody said that just turned the switch of light on. And we respond with deepest gratitude through our words and actions Our church has swung our doors wide open to invite all those to come in, to be a part of our community, whether it's one Sunday or 10 Sundays or 75 years. Everyone has a place. And then to collaborate with other churches, with city leaders, with ER and police and fire. What a wonderful thing that is because we're only so strong As one organization or one church, when we combine our resources, there is no telling what we can do. You know, I was thinking on Friday. I literally thought, I know that there's members of the congregation helping someone put in a floor. I know that there's other members helping somebody move into a house. At the same time that I knew there were people downtown in Detroit, with their bright t-shirts helping with life remodeled. At the same time, there were many people at the Vietnam Memorial Wall. And I just sat and I thought, what a congregation, what a commitment to love and to serve Jesus through loving and serving other people. We couldn't have been in more places And then to go and to watch everybody in action just, just fed my soul. So what will Jesus have us do next? I can honestly say I I don't know, but I can't wait. I really can't. I want to throw a party. The incredible life-giving Lord is the only one who can turn tragedy into hope. When we prayed for the shootings that happened this week, It's becoming all too common. These messages, these active shooters that go in and take people's lives. And the only thing that can turn tragedy into hope is the unconditional love of Jesus Christ working in us. Always, always striving to keep people safe. To open our doors for shelter. To do whatever we can to make sure that we are safe, and that we have a way to love that is unique, where other people look at us and goes, what is it about you? You know, it's gonna demand every part of us, every part of us, and Jesus isn't gonna settle for anything less. If you're away from God, rest assured that he not only loves you, he's looking for you, he's searching for you. In 1981, A Minnesota radio station reported a story about a stolen car in California, and I've never heard a story like this. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver more than they would ever exert for another stolen vehicle because the owner of the car reported that on the front seat of the passenger side, there was a packet of crackers. And in that packet of crackers, he had put rat poison. And he was gonna take it back to his yard and his garage, and he was gonna lay the crackers out so that it would kill the rats. And so all of a sudden, the police, they're going all out trying to find this thief and this car, ironically, not to punish him at first, but to save his life. So here's what I thought. How often do we do something that maybe we shouldn't or say something that we shouldn't and we think, oh my gosh, here comes God, ready to punish us. And God surprises us because God goes on a lost and rescue search mission to simply bring us back, to bring us back to him. He's not looking for you in order to punish you. He is looking for you in order to rescue you. And sometimes that means rescuing us from ourselves. Remember too that at this time in Jesus's ministry while he's teaching them this parable, guess where he's going? He is on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross. Jesus will do anything for his children, the sheep of his pastor, and that includes all those religious leaders that we're always trying to go after him to get him. Because he is the savior of the world, we have hope. Isn't it true that the world is never so big as when the people or creation or the world is lost? How wonderful it is to know that wherever we go, even in our lost wanderings, Jesus has already been there. He's always going to be there with us. The pursuit of us to give us His grace, to empower us with the Holy Spirit, it will never end. And isn't it interesting in Luke that it appears that the searching is done alone, but the celebrating is done all together? It's also good to know that God's got the whole world in His hands the sheep, the coins the prodigal sons and daughters, the sinners, the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the scribes, and you and me. Therefore, we can rejoice. So always pray to have eyes that see the best in yourself and others. Have a heart that forgives yourself and forgives others. Have a soul that never loses faith because Jesus loves you. And all the people said, Amen.